ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of That's Entertaining. This week we'll be discussing X-Men First Class. And joining me to discuss this amazing entry into the X-Men movie is Kevin Austin. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be on tonight. Glad to have you. And ladies and gentlemen, just a little bit of background or behind-the-scenes footage, if you will. Uh, This is going to be a little bit of a uh, shorter show tonight and possibly a little more tired-sounding show because uh, it's taking place a lot later than intended. A nice (laughs) little windstorm came in and knocked out my internet for five hours. It was like the Stone Age, man. I was like, I don't know what to do. I was playing The Witcher because it was single player <laughs> as well. But it was weird. I mean, you become so reliant upon internet. And where I live, I have horrible cell service. So I can't really get internet on my phone except the 2G Edge service that <laughs> T-Mobile provides. And that wasn't doing anything. I mean, I could barely keep track of some text messages is all it was working for. But yeah, it was... It was interesting. So, I apologize for the brevity and the tiredness of this episode, but I assure you, we will be covering some Star Wars amazingness and some X-Men awesomeness in this episode. So stay tuned as we begin with what we've been entertained by recently. Kevin, what have you been entertained by? Oh, geez. I went last night and saw Batman v Superman. First time, second time, eighth time? First time, took my daughters. And? Uh, well, overall, I probably agree with a lot of the same points that uh, you guys touched on on the previous episode of That's Entertaining. Um, overall, Ben Affleck, I think, was awesome as Batman. Uh, Gal Gadot, or Gal Gadot, however you pronounce it, uh, was uh, good as Wonder Woman, too. And I think uh, this portrayal of Alfred was probably my favorite one, too. Um, but there was a lot of plot inconsistencies and... I mean, uh, spoilers for those of you who haven't seen it already. I think the uh, the cameos by the rest of the Justice League could have been cut out entirely, as well as the Batman nightmare sequences, and it might have made for a more solid movie overall. Interesting. Mm. So I, not to talk much about BVS because we already did a whole episode on that, but I do kind of like the nightmare sequence, and I have only seen it once so far. I I want to see it a second time because I've heard that a lot of people who see it a second time, things make more sense to them. I, I think it's the same kind of thing that some people had with Star Wars, where you get the initial viewing, you get the the impact and everything, and then you you kind of are let down because, I mean, you, you have a buildup in your mind, right, mm-hmm. of yeah. what it should be, what the two the meaning of Batman and Superman means. We've seen it in comics. We've seen it done really well in comics and in animated form. And this had a lot to live up to. And when you finally saw it, and you were like, oh, eh, maybe maybe it doesn't live up to your expectations. Maybe it does. But then, going back a second time after you know what to expect and just kind of take in the details, I've heard it's a lot better. Interesting. We'll have to see when the Blu-ray comes out. <laughs> You're going to wait for the Blu-ray. <laughs> Waiting for the Blu-ray. Nice. So what else have you been entertained by? Uh, other than that, I did wrap up uh, playing Until Dawn on uh, PS4 this uh, this past week, so that was a great game, more of an interactive movie, so it kind of ties in a little bit. That's a spooky game, right? Yeah, it plays very much like a 90s horror movie, like a Scream or I Know What You Did Last Summer-esque, um, but the cast was, was done really well. Um, 
Oh, shoot, I can't think of her name now, but Claire from Heroes is the is one of the main characters, Sam. Hayden Panettiere. As, yes, that is correct. And then if you watch uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Grant Ward is also one of the main characters as well, too. And they basically just scan their actual faces, so they look you know exactly how they are, and they're voiced by them, obviously. Uh, but it's very, very cinematic, um, really cool choose-your-own-adventure type game uh, with tons and tons of quick time events that really might catch you off guard and ultimately the game plays out in uh, supposedly a multitude of different ways um so i will go back and play it again not right now but i will do it again later see if i get a different result uh because apparently choices you make will kind of decide who lasts longer uh, and how many people survive at all um so ultimately i think i ended with uh four people alive out of the initial eight so not too bad. I don't know if it's possible to keep everybody alive, but uh, it was a lot of fun, but definitely cool, worth checking out if you can get it on PS, uh, PS4. It's exclusive. So Nice. I have that sitting around somewhere. I got it on Black Friday last year. I believe it was like 20 bucks or 16 bucks. I mm-hmm. think, uh, at a Black Friday sale. So I have that to play at some point as well. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. When you say choose your own adventure, because you're talking about choices and things, it sounds an awful lot like a Telltale game at that point. It is actually, yeah, yeah, it does play very similar to that, actually. It's all quick time events and, and choices you make, uh, you know, who lives, who dies, which way you go, do you run, do you hide. Um, yeah, it plays very much like one, actually, now that you bring it up, yeah. It just looks a lot better. Visually, the game <laughs> is stunning compared to what uh, Telltale does. How long did it take you to beat this game? Um, I want to say I probably did in less than it was probably eight to ten hours, I think, in that range. I played them in like one hour intervals. So but it's okay. it's, a, it's a pretty short game. So it's, it's definitely one that you can go back and revisit and not think like, oh, my God, I sunk 30 hours into this. and I don't want to go back again. It's pretty brief and it, it plays very well. The game is very fast paced for the first eight out of the 10 chapters. And the last two chapters are a little bit longer than the rest of the game. OK. And you said it's about eight to ten hours and there's 10 chapters. So they're about an hour each. Yeah, uh, some of the earlier chapters might play a little bit shorter, and I think the last couple are a little over an hour, I think, depending on how you play. Um, You can breeze through probably a lot quicker than I did, but there's a lot of things you can kind of walk around and uh, discover, uh, different clues and different totems um, that will give you more of the backstory and affect your ending as well. So you can breeze through it, but you won't get the full experience unless you kind of do some exploring. So that means this is a 30-hour playthrough for me because I just walk around and look at everything. (laughs) probably not that long you might be able to make 15 out of it because it is kind of like closed it doesn't let you go out it's not open world so it kind of directs you but there are certain paths you might not take yeah and i've i've been playing a lot of open world games which Mm -hmm. you know you you can do whatever you want literally so it'd be kind of nice to be reined in a little bit and be like this is the direction follow this path and play this game yeah i came from fallout 4 to this and i felt the same way it was a it was a welcome break yeah good anything else uh, other than that, no, not really. Awesome. Well, that's that's solid. BVS, that's about an eight-hour movie. And <laughs> yeah. then you got a 10-hour game, so you, you're game. covered. Mm-hmm. For <laughs> me, I have been playing Star Wars Battlefront. Well, uh. no, actually, <laughs> not The Division this time. Uh, I've been taking a little bit of a break from that because I've been waiting for some of the people that I play with to catch up to level 30 to all go into the Dark Zones together. And... In the meantime, I started to play Witcher again, and I completed the Hearts of Stone DLC. Uh, to it's it's the storyline for that has ended now, and I've done all the side quests, and I've gotten a good amount of the achievements from the actual DLC portion. And let me tell you, that game is so good, and that DLC is so worth it. 
the DLC was $10, and it easily added 15 or not more hours to me personally playing this game, because I just played a, a taste of the DLC a while back, but didn't something else came out, and I went and played that instead. And then going back and being able to sink my time into this game, so good. It's it's a game that... Have you played The Witcher yet? No, I'm actually probably going to start it tomorrow. I jumped into Grand Theft Auto V, but I do have The Witcher sitting here as well as a rental. So Okay, so The Witcher is a great experience, and it will take you... I'm not going to lie, it's going to take you maybe a couple hours to get used to the game. Especially mm. coming from a game like Until Dawn or even GTA, because... It plays differently, but once you understand how it plays, and it's not like, a, I'm not trying to say that it's hard to understand how to play it, but and the tutorials do very well in acclimating you to the game, but you got to make sure that you give it at least a couple hours to tell the story. You need to get out of the first area. So there's a, there's a first area that you're put into called White Orchard, and you can do a lot of stuff there, and if you're like me, you want to get all the question marks and everything knocked mm-hmm. out before you move to the next area, but you yep. can't do that. you got to move on. you got to go on with the story and then come back to it later on and get those question marks taken out. Oh, interesting. So, great game. I'm looking forward to you being able to play it now because that's my game of the year from last year, and it's excellent. Awesome. I'll start it tomorrow then. Cool. And in addition to that, I've been playing Star Wars Battlefront because the new DLC for that came out, and it's really good, and I like it, and it's Star Wars, and I've been watching The Force Awakens about seven times now since it came out on <laughs> Blu-ray, and it's great to be reimmersed back in Star Wars, and you know what's even better? So it was a great week because on Tuesday the Blu-ray came out, and that same day, if not maybe the week before, the, the DLC was made available for everybody for the Outer Rim and Battlefront, mm-hmm. and you know what else came out this week? I think I saw something on the internet. I'm not sure. I might have missed it. If you missed it, you're disappointing me. <laughs> but I know you didn't because Star Wars Rogue One, the official teaser, which was about about a minute and a half, I think. Yeah, it was a long teaser. Yeah, which when you think teasers, usually they're sub one minute. They're about 40 <laughs> seconds or so. But man, and you know, I've spoken before on this podcast about my dislike on trailers and things and that but contrast this trailer if you will exhibit a to exhibit b the batman v superman trailer and so here's a movie right rogue one which if you're if you're paying attention to star wars you know what this is you've known what this is since they announced it this is the story about them getting the death star plans before episode four so even though we know the story, we know the end game. It's it's basically a prequel. I guess it, they don't want you to use that p word. I know they don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it basically is. And we know the end game, but man, that trailer. It allowed you to. I didn't think I'd be as excited for this movie as I am. What yeah, about I, you? I definitely wasn't as excited till I saw the trailer. I think it it gave you enough to get you interested without giving away story. Exactly. And 
I think they had to because this isn't going to be a story with the characters we know. It's not going to be, you know, the prequels and it's not, you know, episode four, five and six. So we're not going to see a lot, if any, of the same people. So they kind of have to do something to hook you in. And I think that's why they're avoiding the prequel name and calling it a Star Wars story or whatever they're referring to it as. Yeah, a Star Wars story. And dear listener, if you haven't seen this trailer yet, you aren't one of the 20 million YouTube viewers who have viewed the official trailer. (laughs) Head out to YouTube and check it out. But if you haven't, here's the audio. State your name for the record. Jin Erso. Forgery of Imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. Resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15. Reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know what it is and how to destroy it. Is that clear? Yes, sir. What will you do when they catch you? What will you do if they break you? If you continue to fight, Wasn't that great? That I was that my mind is blown. So good, dude. That music. <laughs> oh. So, it's always good music with Star Wars, though. You can't go wrong. Yeah, you can't. But I mean, you can definitely tell that. So you remember the original trailer for uh, The Force Awakens where it kind of had that piano theme too? Just yes. kind of like distant and alone. This movie, this trailer, you can definitely tell that they're kind of they're in that vein, but they're separate. So they're they're invoking that Star Wars, do 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 do. You know that that tone, but it's in such a way that because the story revolves around soldiers, revolves around people that aren't Force users, mm-hmm. it feels and sounds exactly like you picture it to be. What what do you think about? What do you think about this whole presentation that they've given us so far? I, I think they did it perfectly. Um, this being, like I said previously, it's it's not a movie with characters we're familiar with, but they ditched, you know, the intergalactic politics of the prequels, and it's not, you know, episodes four, five, six, and seven. This seems so far from what we've seen to be a very much action-driven uh, movie. There's probably not going to be any lightsabers or maybe just a few, but you're focusing on laser battles, explosions, you know, stormtroopers against the rebels. Yeah, that was, that scene was insane. Um, it's just going to be an action movie. So I think it's going to be a ton of fun, but clearly it still has that heart 
that uh, episode seven still had um, that gave you that same feeling that, okay, Disney can do okay with Star Wars. I trust them. You know, they, they won me over. Um, so I think it's going to be in the same vein as episode seven where it's still going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be nostalgic. But in this case, it is going to be something very different simply because of the nature of the topic. And you know what's great? So with episode seven, we got that first real kind of look at the movie with the Chewy were home. And that was in Black Friday, the year before it came yeah. out. So that was 13 months before when we first got our first real trailer for The Force Awakens. We're in April. This movie comes out in December. Ah, oh, man. We are just mere months away yeah, from this huh? movie. I can't believe I kind of with with being all wrapped up in the episode seven stuff and then you know the DVD and Blu-ray release, I kind of forgot that this was even already like filming. Like I knew they were doing one every other year, but it kind of just slipped my mind because of how great episode seven was to then be like, oh hey, wait, 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 we got more. It's not over yet, folks. And then give you this teaser. They're not calling it a trailer, even though I kind of think it is. It's long enough to be a trailer. Mm -hmm. And then saying, hey, in a few months you'll actually be able to see the whole thing. I mean, that that's done very well and I at least for me, caught me off guard. Yeah. And just a couple of specifics I want to call up before we leave this uh, topic. The In this movie, you get the shot of the, the main woman, the main hero. I forget whether her name is Jin Air or Jin Air or something like that. Yeah, something. Sounds interesting, her character. Uh, she's a she's a rebel. You know, she's, this is a rebellion. I rebel. That's a, that's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> and I like her interesting story that they're showing there. And that final shot of her in the Imperial armor, yes. that was really good. I was going to bring that up if you didn't, so. <laughs> yeah, that final shot, man. Oh, I, I don't know. Like like you said, we don't know the story, right? This could mm -hmm. be her at the beginning, uh, then defecting from the Empire or something. Or maybe she becomes an Imperial agent. Who knows? I mean, that's the speculation that this, this trailer will now drive until we see the movie. Mm -hmm. But... Man, that imagery, that shot looks so good. So good. This movie looks like the... Oh, it's When you make movies that are decades apart from, from each other, this is, you know, from 1977 is when episode four came out. They captured that era of the way people look and dress oh, yeah. in, in that 77 era specified. It's perfect. Spot on. Mon Mothma? Oh, <laughs> Looks so. I I looked at this a little earlier because I was like, man, she is so good. And I know they had a Mon Mothma in episode three that was cut out. Mm. This is the same actress they got for the Mon Mothma in episode three. Oh, which I saw this funny comment on the internet because the internet is is great for funny comments. <laughs> it's like you run a rebellion, you only get one set of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> got it on a budget, man. On a budget. On a budget, but. The the actors in this game or in this game this movie look excellent because you got Forrest Whitaker, who's yes. he's a huge like named actor, and he's won an Oscar I believe, and he's in this movie. His lines are great, you know, asking yeah. her what she'll become. He he looks very intense in the movie. You've got another guy I don't know who it is, and I've I haven't really researched this trailer enough yet, but the there's an Imperial officer in white with a cape. Yes, I saw that, and he's, like, walking through the water at one point or whatever. Yeah, that yeah. dude looks amazing. And I, I sent out a tweet today. I'm like, I think I have a new target for cosplay. Because <laughs> that, the way he looks is so, oh, so imperial, so cool. 
And I don't know who this guy is. He's probably not going to make it out of this movie. No. But man, he looks really cool. The Empire always looks good. If nothing else, they always look good. They always know how to dress, right? Yep. The bad absolutely. guys always know how to dress. And I were I was going to reference that later on in this movie too, because for uh, X Men First Class, because man, the bad guys in X Men First Class also know how to dress. They're very snazzy, yes. <laughs> so the Empire in this movie looks really menacing. Looks really good. That Walker, uh, the Walkers on the beach. Yes, that looks really good. And. The one shot that they had of pulling that uh, the the focusing dish onto the Death Star, and you kind of get a close up of the Star Destroyers, but this immense object is still behind it. Mm-hmm. It's just it's so good of a reminder to be like, okay, in Episode Four, this is how big this thing is. Yep. And you remember in Episode Four, the first shot you see is the Taint of Four fleeing from the Star Destroyer, which is huge too. Yep. And it's just, and then you in Episode Seven, you got this space station it's a planet and that's even bigger but we're not going to go there we're just going to talk about rogue one (laughs) and man it's the imagery this movie looks exactly like i think it should and i am super excited for it i cannot wait i agree december i agree i'm right there with you (sighs) any final thoughts on rogue one before we move on i just hope it, it keeps up the same spirit as episode seven and i'll be happy I, I agree. Here, here, good sir. All right. So let's move into the meat and potatoes this week. The discussion that you're all here for are entertaining thoughts on X-Men First Class. X-Men First Class, Mr. Austin. All right, so the the first time I remember seeing this movie, you know, it come off of X-Men 3, which I know it's coming up on a later episode, but wasn't taken as well as the first two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually wasn't that excited for this um, initially, and that's because we all know at this point the origin story of, you know, Professor X and Magneto. It's been done before, not as in-depth, but, you know, we kind of all knew where it was going to end, and I'm not a big fan of movies that you already know what the end result's going to be. Prequels. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Seeing it again, this is the second time I've seen it when I watched, uh, you know, prior to the show, um, I enjoyed it more. Still, overall, not a great experience for me, but I didn't hate it as much as I did the first time, I guess you could say. You've only seen this movie twice. Yes, what? Yeah, I I did not like it the first time. So generally, when I really don't like something, I don't go back and visit it unless I have a reason to. So, <laughs> so that makes me really curious because I find this movie to be among the best of the X Men movies. Hmm. I mean, granted, that's not hard to do. Yeah. But I. So yeah, you like you said, we've had the origin stories kind of not fleshed out, but kind of alluded to between mm-hmm. Professor Xavier and magneto and i love absolutely love michael fassbender as magneto in this movie yes i i agree michael fassbender and james mcavoy are excellent casting they're very very good at what they do and their portrayal was very spot on my issue wasn't really with them they're with other things but we can get into that as we go through the story okay so as you look at the story 
it's very reminiscent of X-Men, the first X-Men movie, mm-hmm. because it's pretty much a scene-for-scene uh, recreation of that scene in, in was it Germany or was it Poland? Uh, Poland. In Poland, where Eric Lencher is being torn from his family in the concentration camp, and he starts to show his mutation power, being able to hold on to that gate and pulling that in, and then he finally is subdued. But instead of in the first movie, it kind of that's that's where you end it. This movie pans up and you see a menacing figure looking out at him from his from his office or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, what did you think of that? First off, that recreation of that initial scene. The recreation I thought was very interesting because, like you said, it was it was a spot on recreation of what we had already seen in the previous movies, which was already very powerful the first time we saw it. And it it, it still, was still is now. Yeah, that that scene held up great, and I, I think the the genuine shock in everybody as he first reached out and started to bend that gate towards him, and the, another soldier went and grabbed him, then a third soldier went and grabbed him, and it took, you know, that fourth soldier coming over and hitting him with the barrel of the gun to, uh, with the butt of the gun to kind of knock him out to stop him at that point. But the imagery was very very powerful, and it kind of portrayed and and set up Magneto really for his issues with the quote unquote humans versus mutants. Um, but it was probably, in my opinion, hands down the most powerful scene in the whole movie right off the bat. They hit you with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that sets the tone for this movie for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's perfect. This, The way that they wrote this movie, they wrote this movie with care and respect, something that we did not get with Batman v Superman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they wrote this movie in a way that it starts out with this, and then you go into the... Uh, him trying to, uh, whatever that bad guy's name is, trying to get him to use his powers in that whole scenario with the coin, move the coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole thing. And then he gives him the coin, but that travels with him as you go through this movie. Yep. And you get that final scene, which is such a great payoff. But you get that from this writing. And I feel like there are, and I, we'll, we'll talk about this because I'm really curious about what your missteps are in this movie, if they're with mine. But the the Eric Lencher story, the Magneto story, the Xavier story, and most of the other X-Men jive well with me with their progression, with their character path. My problem comes in with these other mutants that come in and join the teams. Uh, I really don't have much of a problem with the bad guys. My problem is really with the good guys. <laughs> So we get to the point where they, they start to find these people and they're, they go to Cerebro and he's finding everybody and we get that mm-hmm. awesome cameo from Hugh Jackman. That's the best scene in the whole movie. I wrote that down. <laughs> that that three-second scene was my favorite part of the entire movie. It's so it's so good. And they actually reference it in, I think, Days of Future Past as well, I think. Yes. Yep, they did. And it's it's one of those scenes where, I mean, the for, for the... For the uninitiated, I should say, people who this is their first X-Men movie, they're like, okay, what's that mean? But for everybody else that have seen any other X-Men movie, that scene comes in, and we're laughing, and we're like, yes, that is Mm -hmm. perfect. That is Wolverine to a T, smoking his cigar, drinking, and just at a bar. It was great. It was fantastic. And he has has two words that he says, which I'm not going to say here. It's (laughs) family-friendly. Yes, yes. But... Those two words, that's all you gotta do. And then it's it's awesome, it makes sense. And this is this was based in that point was in the sixties, 
Uh, yep. was it, do we know what year? Uh, 1969, I believe. 69. Was that 69? I think that's when the movie was based, plot okay. line in. Uh, if I knew my history better when I knew the Cuban Oh, 1962. Crisis. Sorry, 1962. Okay. I thought it was a little earlier. Um, so, you know, you get to that point and he's, from what we just saw in the last movie, which is technically canon uh, with X-Men Origins Wolverine, he's now past that point. So... Yeah, he's he's still drinking to remember, I guess, or <laughs> yeah. drinking to find things out. Uh, but I love that scene there, and it'll mean even more when we move on to the actual X-Men movie later on. But yeah, that little cameo works so well for me. It's perfect. Absolutely. My problems, well, like I said with the characters, are Angel. This is... Mm-hmm. To me, Angel is not this character. No. Uh, from the comic books and things that we've read in the past, and there's a character that was actually in X3 mm-hmm. uh, called Angel. And he becomes, in the lore, like one of the horsemen of Apocalypse, which he doesn't look like he'll be one in this upcoming movie. But he becomes a horseman of Apocalypse. He's got a good character journey. It's interesting. And that is the Angel I know of. Yep. This person is like... Like a firefly or something like a dragonfly. They should call her dragonfly. Yeah. She, all she has like dragonfly wings. Then she spits acid. Acid What's or something. That? Yeah. She spits a fireball or something. Like I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, they're not even angel type wings. They're clearly like an insect wings. Mm-hmm. She she reminded me more of what wasp would be. Yeah. Except you know, without spitting, they should be shooting fireballs, or whatever. But that's more wasp uh, than uh, angel for sure. Yeah. It was just weird that they used that name for her. Yeah. And like her character. She turns and becomes a bad guy, quote unquote, later on, and I don't buy that at all. No, I don't. They don't. If they set her character up a little bit better, maybe I could buy it. But the way that they show it to us on the screen, I don't understand why she would go so quickly from all these friends that she's been making, that this relationship that she's been building over the past, you know, weeks, and like that, leave. That that whole scene, person. yeah, that whole scene was very odd. It was almost like the the writers or the director had been like, "Oh man, we accumulated way too many mutants on the good team, so now here we got to do something to either convert people or get rid of them." And it was just kind of like a a throwaway of a lot of characters and just like a five minute scene. Yeah, and speaking of a throwaway of characters, Darwin. Darwin. Yep. <laughs> Which. Literally, they recruit him to be killed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I just... That's a character that could have been interesting later on. He kind of reminds me of Colossus in a way. Mm-hmm. And my X-Men knowledge isn't as great as I as other people's, but is Darwin a character that you're familiar with outside of this movie? I've never heard of Darwin uh, other than this movie, so he very well could be, but I am not familiar with him either, if yeah, he is. He's not an original X-Men, because like, I feel I'm pretty familiar with the original crew of X-Men, and I don't remember this guy. No. So his power is that he can just adapt to survive, which I think accumulates to being I can have armor or gills. Yeah, it's kind of whatever. It appears like whatever environmental hazard is in his way, he's his body will metamorphosis to adapt to that. Right. Which his power fails him ultimately. Yeah. Because <laughs> he can't adapt to survive, which doesn't make any sense. If 
He's in training. He was in training. Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so that's another issue I have is that this character literally was a cab driver one scene and then he got his name and then died. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That sums it up. So I had a problem with those two characters. I also have a problem with Banshee. I found the character of Banshee to be super annoying for one thing. Yeah. (laughs) But really unbelievable when he got his, like, flying suit. Because, okay, you don't fly out of the water just because you have sound waves moving you. That doesn't, that's not how that works. That's not how they set it up to work in the movie. No. He had the... You know, he uses his little glide suit and then create updraft to be able to to use it. Mm-hmm. And another thing, you can't you can't fly and have somebody in your arm. That's not how that works. <laughs> I am sorry, but the character of Banshee and that and I do know from a filming aspect that that was actually pretty cool scene for them to film because they actually filmed people flying in in uh wire harnesses and stuff to film mm-hmm. that scene which it looked a really good shot but i just yeah it did not logically that doesn't work no not not even a little bit yeah i mean and it, it's the way they set it up i mean if you could keep it the way that they had it fine but you cannot just decide to fly out of the water and you cannot maintain momentum when you have somebody in your arm and it doesn't work and that no. bugs the heck out of me yep <laughs> those are my main problems with this movie and it's summed up in those misuse or just oddly used characters love magneto love x uh i love moira i think it was moira mctaggart agent mctaggart whatever her name was yep uh i loved the portrayal of beast yes he, think, he was he was a plus for me as well yeah beast was so good in this movie uh, I loved him as Dr. Hank McCoy just before he turned into Beast and then after mm-hmm. he turned into Beast. They did a really good job with that outfit and everything because... Yes. You remember X3? That Beast looked good to me, too, honestly. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was one of the pluses of that movie. Um, <laughs> but in this movie, I didn't know how they would do a young Beast, right? And they they pulled it off magnificently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny a couple times where he just kind of beasts out a little bit where yep. it doesn't make sense but i mean you got to give it to him where where they can take it right absolutely yeah I, I he was definitely one of the highlights of the movie for me yeah mystique was well done i think her storyline her progression was interesting but i think too with her turning it i can buy it but it it doesn't feel right for me, see, this this was one of my biggest misses in this whole movie. And I think it's with this whole series, to be honest. And <clears throat> I think as much as I like Jennifer Lawrence in her other movies that she's done, I feel like she's wasted in this series. I would have much preferred her to play a different hero in a different Marvel movie, maybe, and carried on, you know, a better legacy, considering, you know, she's one of the better, the one of the bigger names in this movie. She could be a um, good Ms. Marvel. Right. That that's what I mean. Like I, I just think it it was a miss there having her as Mystique. The the storyline overall with her I did enjoy as well. Like I think the whole dynamic between her as a kid and Professor X, like I think that was done very well. The the weird things for me is and this might be once again me coming from a comic book background, is okay, so she's in the movie. 
clearly she has kind of a love interest in Beast. She has kind of a, a thing, flirtiness with Magneto. But Azazel's in this movie as one of the villains. Mm-hmm. They hook up. Mm-hmm. And their kid is Nightcrawler. In the canon of the X-Men movies, how does then Mystique not recognize Nightcrawler in X2? <laughs> like, it just, that seems really weird. And that kind of annoyed me saying, okay, Mystique's here and young, and that didn't bother me until the second Azazel showed up. Which, by the way, he looked very cool, and I think they portrayed him very well Azazel as well. Azazel was really cool, yeah. he it, Very cool. But right away, in my head, I'm like, I'm doing the math, and I'm going down through the storyline. I'm like, okay, well, this canon... I think overall anyway is kind of iffy with the, all these X-Men movies regardless. Right. But for me, it was like, okay, well then just don't have him in the movie. There's, you know, tons of other quote unquote X-Men villains they could have gone with. So it just seemed a little weird when they threw that in there. Um, so his character was kind of a waste in that regards too. And I think he could have played a bigger role had they gone down that route. Um, and then Emma Frost was a little weird as well. Oh, that was, uh, yeah. That didn't work for me. It, January whole, Jones doesn't yeah. know how to act. Like she's no. she's a cardboard face. Yeah. It the the whole and I think this is kind of where the movie lost me. And, and you'll have to go with me for here and, and think I, I'm not sure of the last time you saw the movie, you just saw it recently again. The whole sixties vibe of the movie comes off not as much as sixties as it does Austin Powers. <laughs> Especially the opening scene when all the girls are in the underwear. Yep. You had that. You had the transition scenes when um, I think Xavier was trying to track Sebastian Shaw and it showed like the map and it was like USA to England to Germany. And it looked like a really cheesy map with like the air, the airplane going with the dot, dot, dot behind it. Like there was just a lot of instances where they kept throwing in your face like, hey, this is the 60s. This is the 60s. But it was a really cheesy portrayal. And that kind of pulled it away from me a little bit mm -hmm. um other than that i mean the the beginning of the movie was great the ending i thought was great it was kind of the whole middle that was kind of uh muddled for me overall a muddled middle yes muddled middle <laughs> so with this movie and again uh, my favorite part hands down of this film is is magneto's journey mm-hmm I love the the scenes with him. He he goes and he's tracking down Sebastian Shaw, and he's he goes to the guy in the, I think at the first place he goes is the guy that has the bank. Yes. He gets the information from him, and then he goes and there's these two German guys in a bar. That scene just showcases his powers, even though he he's not trained really yet yep. as as far as you know what we know he will become. Um, but that scene with him. I was like, yeah, I, I, who are you? I'm a tailor. Who are you? I'm a pig farmer. I was like, oh, my parents were taking me by pig farmers and tailors. <laughs> that whole scene, so expertly acted and shot. It was, it was, it was great. And the showcase of his powers there was yeah. really good too. Although that first time where you see him turn the gun at the guy and they, they shoot down the barrel, that was a really good shot. I liked that. That was a good shot. So, the part I didn't like with Magneto in this movie, honestly, and there's only one part that I didn't like about him, is at the very end, where he kind of comes out and he's, he's talking about my brothers and sisters. We know that to, to be the Magneto character that does that. You know, he mm -hmm. talks about his brothers and the brotherhood and things like yep. that. 
this character of Magneto, there's no point when he kind of alludes to brotherhood or things like that. As far as I remember it, I watched it today. Um, I was kind of trying to pay attention to that dialogue because it always kind of bothers me where he kind of, he defeats uh, Shaw, comes out, he's like, brothers and sisters, look, you know, and he kind of has this grandiose thing that kind of starts there. And then mm-hmm. at the very end, when he comes in with, with his Magneto outfit on, the, yep. the red and everything, he's got the helmet. He changed the helmet to have horns on it. I did not like that at all. <laughs> no, no. I loved it the way it was. Yeah. So when you look at this movie as a whole, what is it that makes it not so good in your minds? Because even though with those flaws that I've kind of brought out and outlined, I still find myself really enjoying this movie and enjoying the journey that you go on with Magneto and with Xavier. The other characters are kind of missed ups and kind of blah, blah along the way. But I think that they handle, there's good comedy in this too. There's the comedy with when they reveal themselves in the CIA and he's like, Hey, you want to see another magic trick? Yeah. Get in the car. Okay. I mean, there's just (laughs) great little lines like that and some great comedy like we saw with Wolverine too. I think this was really well written and pretty well acted for the most part, except January Jones really doesn't know how to act. Uh, I even liked Kevin Bacon. Like, and he was a weird character. Yes, but he, he plays a good villain. He really does. Yeah. He's got that craziness vibe about him. Yeah. And when, when he was the, the first time you see him as the German officer, Mm -hmm. uh, I loved the accent that he had there and everything was (laughs) the way he acted was really good uh and then as he lived on and got along i guess he just dropped the german accent completely i guess uh because i don't know if he was german or what uh yeah they never really i don't think they addressed that yeah because later on i mean this is only this is only maybe 20 yeah it's only about 20 years later you Mm -hmm. think that you would still have a german accent yeah i I don't know (laughs) but it was it was Really well done. His his villain character was interesting. Again, he's not a character that I was familiar with. Nah, me honestly. either. But uh, we talked about Azazel. Loved Azazel. Yeah. The other guy, the wind guy, I can't remember his name. Oh, um, yeah. can't remember what his name is. He was interesting, but I think that they he was kind of underused because all you really needed was Azazel. Azazel was amazing. Yes. <laughs> That's all you needed was just Azazel. Uh, and then the way that this movie ends with that coin sequence and it goes in, like, you just kind of see that the, the cuts between Charles, because Charles feels everything that he's feeling, I'm assuming, because he's controlling his mind. Yeah. And just the cuts between those two characters and the music and everything, just that scene is so good. It sticks with you, too. What is it about this movie that makes it a little bit uh, toned down, in your opinion? I agree with you 100% on the whole uh, Xavier Magneto dynamic and, and the build-up towards that. I think that was the beat and potatoes of the whole the whole movie. It was the highlight of the whole movie. For me, it was just a lot of the unnecessariness and the, the throwaways in the middle and add that with the campiness vibe of the whole, you know, 
swinging 60s or whatever, you know, going on at that point. It just didn't seem to fit the tone of the rest of the movie. You had that really powerful introduction, um, and you had all the scenes with Magneto, you know, hunting down everything. And then the very powerful ending, the middle just didn't seem to fit the same vibe. And that, that for me, took me out of it. It was like, okay, you hooked me right away. You got me going. Okay, now where the heck is this going? And then it got kind of weird, but then it hooked you back in at the end. And for me, I don't like being taken out of the experience. I like the the tone of the movie to match all the way through, for better or for worse. If they wanted to take a you know a DC esque, more serious approach to the whole movie, I would have been fine with that. But just keep it consistent because the beginning and ending feel very much like a DC movie, but the middle feels more like a Saturday morning cartoon. I think that's just kind of what pulled me out of it. Just a lot of the campiness of the '60s stuff pulled it out. Um, the the acting like you said of january jones was very odd a lot of the throwaway characters you know your banshee and, and havoc and uh riptide was the other villain by the way riptide okay um a lot of them were like just mishandled so it's like okay if you're not gonna do it right then you know is this character needed in the movie then because if not then pull it out and and make it a better movie uh i think the the overall runtime i forget what the runtime was in this movie i think it was just over two hours yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that long compared to a lot of what we see now, but it felt to me a lot longer. It was two hours and twelve minutes, um, but to me it felt more like a, a two and a half hour long movie. So I still think that there was probably stuff they could have cut out of the movie, made it you know two hours or just under two hours, and it would have had a little more impact for me. Cut out Emma Frost. Yep. And cut out Angel. And Banshee. And Banshee. And I <laughs> and think Dar- you got a hit. Yeah, Darwin give, Dar- I, give Darwin say. no scenes and he's all yeah, good. Yeah, there you go. Just make him a cab driver to get you to Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's our overall thoughts on this movie. I enjoyed the music, by the way, in this movie. I thought the music was really well done. I love kind of the, the electric guitar that they use for the Magneto theme. Yeah. That was really well used in the film. And just the overall, I guess, the the ensemble theme when the, when the team is getting put together and together uh, was really well done. I mean, you, you don't have, I don't think you have a, an X-Men theme like we had in the first X-Men movie. That no. dun, 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 dun. I mean, we don't have that. There's no fanfare. I don't believe from this film that you could take out, but there's just good use of, of music and, and composition to notes and follow those characters. Cause you know, okay, you know, Magneto needs his own theme because he's not a hero. He's not a villain yet. He's just, he's on a journey. And he kind of gets his own theme applied to him. Shaw gets his own theme applied to him. And then you've got the rest of the X-Men that kind of have their own theme applied to them. So music, really appreciated, really well done. And I thought that overall, I enjoyed this movie immensely more than I enjoyed X-Men Origins Wolverine that we talked about last week. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> But continuing on in our journey next week with X-Men, the original X-Men. Now we're talking. Yeah. So that'll be good because, again, chronologically speaking, uh, it's X-Men Origins Wolverine, then it's First Class, then it's X-Men 1, 2, 3, then it is The Wolverine, and then Days of Future Past, and then... Apocalypse, Apocalypse, which is coming out this year. So that's the chronological order, which we'll be discussing them in. So again, next week, we'll be talking about the original 
X-Men film with Patrick Stewart as Professor X this time. And Ian McKellen as Magneto, which still, the casting and the acting between those two is is excellent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, looking forward to talk to that next week. And as far as the show goes, you can contact the show on Twitter at EntertainingPod. You can send us an email, that's entertaining at gmail.com. Just past th- this past Wednesday, we released our first episode of the League of Entertaining Gentlemen, which also a member of that league is Mr. Kevin Austin. Kevin, we thank you again for being a part of that, part of our family. Thank you. So it felt good to have another kind of movie, kind of comic conversation, get everybody yep. introduced to you again, Kevin. Mo was able to join us last week, and I do want to apologize. There was a little bit of an issue with Skype last week. I think this week it seems to be pretty good, pretty solid. So uh, better all, better quality all the way around. Better movie, better quality. <laughs> Kevin, can you be reached on the social medias? I can be reached on the social media. So if you're on the tweet machine, you can find me at at PSVG Kevin, which stands for play some video games, which is my other little pet project I work on. So you can check all that out at playsomevideogames.com. Awesome. And you can find me on the tweet machines, as he so eloquently put it, at Sith Nightmare, S-I-T-H-K-N-I-G-H-T-M-A-R-E. And if you want to play games with me, I'm usually Spider Jedi on any sort of platform. Unless it's. Unless someone is an imposter and it's not me, then it's Sith Nightmare. Like it is on Twitter. So, you play PS4, right, Kevin? I do. You want to give the folks your handle out there? Yeah, uh, if you want to play with me on PS4, it's Koch1212, C O T C H1212. And I think you also want everybody to be your friends on Mimo, Mitomo, right? Mimitomo. <laughs> uh, I, I fell off that train a little bit hard. I, I, the only reason I booted it up recently was because I saw a message from you guys that I looked like Chandler from Friends, and I had to go change my clothes. So, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this discussion of X-Men or blah, X-Men First Class. And we look forward to talking X-Men next week. Until then, we hope that you have been entertained. Ha, ha, ha.